Welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. Every Thursday, we go to the source of the story to open up the work behind beautiful new discoveries and cut through misinformation in the media. I'm your host, James, and today I'm bringing in a paper about a new minimal Turing test. Okay, I am looking forward to learning what that even means. I am your other host, Charlie, and I have not read this paper, so I'm going to be asking James a lot of questions. We're both PhD students who read lots of papers for our own research, so this podcast is our way of sharing our love for science with anyone who wants to learn about the discoveries that affect us all. We are the Paper Boys. All right. So you may have been reading in the news lately this thing about this new Turing test. So I had the chance to read this paper and really excited to bring it into the show today. Also really excited to have Megan Radin as our grad student uh, highlight today. She's studying cognitive science. She's a PhD student. So I think it'd be a cool blend of ideas that are coming. Uh, okay. And that's coming up at the end of the show. So Yep. She'll talk about her research for about two minutes. Cool. So so now, as for your research here, or your paper here, what is a Turing test? What does that mean? All right. So have you ever seen the movie Ex Machina or Ex Machina? So uh, yes. Yes. With the artificial intelligence kind of sexy robot ladies. Yeah. So I actually have a clip from that movie that explains Ooh, the Turing test very good. well. Are we just going to watch the whole movie for this episode? Yeah. Sit tight. Enjoy the movie. <laughs> this is a long one, folks. <laughs> Do you know what the Turing test is? Yeah, I know what the Turing test is. It's when a human interacts with a computer. And if the human doesn't know they're interacting with a computer, the test is passed. And what does a pass tell us? That the computer has artificial intelligence. Are you building an AI? I've already built one. And over the next few days, you're going to be the human component in the Turing test. Holy shit. Yeah, that's right, Caleb. You got it. All right, James, what I took from that is that you just let those actors do your job for you. But, but I also took, <laughs> what is the Turing test? It's a test for computers to see if they're humans. Yeah, and so I did let them do their job. They do a good job. <laughs> just having them accent my own role. But yeah, you got it. The Turing test was invented by Alan Turing, famous British scientist who came up with a lot of information theory. He's famous for cracking the German Enigma code in World War II. We'll watch that movie on next week's episode. Yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> but so yeah, it was a test to figure out when artificial intelligence had really developed. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, it's a great movie for anyone out there. But it's really more like a thought experiment though, right? Yeah, and so what's evolved from the Turing test is there are actually competitions every year where people test their AI. Really? Yeah. Like, a, like an international expo or? Yep, yep. So I think there are many different examples, but one specifically is called the Lebner Prize. And so essentially you get a bunch of people together and you set up these chats. So it's like a chat room, two people, they can't see each other and they're just chatting in like, this is a throwback, like AOL Instant Messenger for anyone who's ever used that. Oh, yeah, please. And so you basically start this conversation and you don't know if you're talking to a human or a robot and you have 
basically like five minutes to come up with a decision one way or another. Okay. Why does this have to be done in a place? Can, can't you just do this every day on the internet? I think they do. I don't know if it's actually localized at this place. It's probably just an excuse to get together and like... Have some beers. Yeah. Talk to some robots. <laughs> exactly. The Turing test is pretty well established. Like everybody learns about it in school if you do programming and stuff. So what's interesting about this paper that I'm bringing in though is that it's sort of a new paradigm on the Turing test. And taking a step back, why is this even in the news? Yeah, I have. I mean, I have a lot of questions, but that's my first one. What's the what's the the latest on this? So you know, artificial intelligence, or I'll be saying AI a lot, has been in the news a lot lately, just yeah. because it's like the hot new buzzword. Deep learning and neural deep nets. neural networks yeah. are going to change the way we integrate the cloud and yeah. the internet. Of they're going to change the way that Watson <laughs> does, you know, beats Ken Jennings. <laughs> yeah. It, Watson, if you're listening, we don't mean that. <laughs> so recently in the news, after this article was published, there are a bunch of like really kind of funny, weird headlines. Really? Uh, yeah. So here are a couple of them. From firstpost.com, a new minimal Turing test can tell if you're human or AI with a single word. Ooh, okay. And then... You BBC, better not fail that test. No. Uh-oh. BBC had, what single word defines who you are? Getting a little more introspective. Theverge.com. This one's funny. A one-word Turing test suggests, quote, poop is what sets us apart from the machines. No. Yep. Is that how you pass the test? <laughs> I'll get more into that. Okay. And lastly, Sputnik News says, dirty humans. New tests suggest that poop is what sets us apart from the machines. Basically the same thing, but I mean, kind of a they're not wrong. Headline. So how did these headlines come about from this paper? When I saw them as a paper boy, I had to click and learn more. So two folks, formerly at MIT, John McCoy and Tomer Ullman. John McCoy is now at University of Pennsylvania. Uh, wrote this paper entitled A Minimal Turing Test. And this is the paper that sparked these. So the paper is that they created a test or did they run this test on people and robots? Both, to an extent. They ran this test on people. I'll get more into what's wrong with the headlines, but basically these headlines are sort of overstating what the research actually did. Well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like from all of those, they're fixating on some sort of result here. But the paper, I'm kind of getting the sense that it's more, you said, it's a change of paradigm. Like they're more sort of proposing an idea. Yeah, they're proposing this idea of this new minimal Turing test as a tool to learn more about cognitive science, sort of oh. how humans relate. So just to give you a frame of reference, they're both from the Department of Brain and Cognitive Sciences at MIT. Oh, so they're not even uh, computer scientists. No, no. This, this is really more of a chance to understand like human cognition and perception. Interesting. Okay. Now... I guess diving a little more into what the research actually was. Why did they propose a new minimal Turing test? What was wrong with the other one? It <laughs> turns out, well, so there's nothing wrong with the old Turing test. But uh, I mentioned before that Lebner Prize. Yeah. So a lot of people have looked into this question of can machines think and posing the Turing test as a way to validate that. Hmm. But not as many people have looked into how humans perform as contestants in the Turing test. Okay. Does that make sense? I think think so. So like the Turing test has been kind of this thought experiment of like, how would you signify when AI has reached a certain point? But in, but we don't really know what the baseline for a human is, you know? Yeah. So like imagine you're chatting with someone on AIM throwback and they're like AI has gotten to this level where like everyone knows how intelligent AI is. And you're like, man, I really want that person on the other end to know that I'm a human. What would you have to say to convince them oh, as I fast see. as possible that you're a human? 
I see. And you can't just tell them, like, by the way, I'm a person. Because an AI could do that. Yeah, if you're a robot, you're like, oh, this is a great technique. That's, that's you know what, I'm going to start putting all my money into video chatting stocks. I wouldn't do that. If really? you saw in the news a couple months ago, these groups are getting really good at spoofing videos, too. No. There's a really funny thing. Oh, from, is that the deep fakes thing? I think so. Like, and they can, George, Key and Peele, the comedians, did a funny one where they like did a voiceover of President Obama. Yeah, and they can make it look like it's actually Obama, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So... In that context, coming up with a test to, to determine who is a human is actually like could be really important for things like security and just like general cybersecurity. Uh, one thing I really liked in this paper was in the introduction, they came up with a prompt that sort of sets the tone for it. So I'll quote this. So you can all, as you're listening, have an idea and sort of come up with your own word. Is this is this the question that you asked me yesterday? Yeah, this is the homework that I gave you. Okay, so yeah, so everyone, just for context, James actually gave me homework for Paperboys. Despite my intense workload as a PhD student, he had the audacity to give me this. More homework. Yeah. but so And I've been thinking about it all day. So ask the question, and then maybe people at home can think about it themselves, too. Yeah. And hopefully we can hear what your response was at the end. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, trust me. I've got lots of responses. Okay. So here's the question. Imagine you and a smart robot are both before a judge who cannot see you. The judge will guess which of you is the human. Whoever the judge thinks is the human will live and the robot will die. Both you and the robot want to live. The judge is fair and smart. The judge says, you must each give me one word from an English dictionary. Based on this word, I will guess who is the human. What one word do you choose? How do you prove that you're human over this robot that's both smart and wants to live? Yeah, there's a lot of layers to this question too. Yes. There's, there's so much to think about. And so that is the the crux of what these authors are trying to get to, as I found from reading the paper. Is that their, officially what they're calling their minimal Turing test? Yeah, yeah, that's the paradigm. Okay. What one word could you say, knowing that you're up against a robot, to differentiate yourself as a human? Okay. So this builds on already extensive research on what's called mind perception, or thinking about what other agents are thinking. These agents could be other people. I see. Or they could be robots, in this case. I see, okay. It's important for understanding how humans relate to each other, Everyone knows that we come up with stereotypes. Stereotypes are very human as a way of coping with a complex world. Yeah. It lets us make faster decisions. And then there's these things called meta-stereotypes as well. What stereotypes we think that other people have on us oh. and others. Whoa. And so people like to group themselves. It's kind of like that cliche of the high school clique actually continues on very far in life. Yeah. Whether it's by a political party or religious views, things like that. Yeah. So... This test is really a way to gain some insight into how people think other people think. Yeah, well, it's interesting It's interesting that you say that because in the last day, knowing nothing about this paper, just the question that you asked, in the last day, while thinking about this, I keep going back to what would the robot say? And I keep what trying to think of what would, you know, what would the robot's answer be and how would I outsmart that answer, you know? Yeah. So you're right, it's, it's total paradigm shift when the original Turing test is more like how do you get the robot to trick a person? But now it's like, how do I, the person, beat the robot? Yes. You know? And you also have to think about the listener, the judge in this case. Yes. yes. What was he going to value as human or robotic? Yes, exactly. So here's a question for you. As you were thinking about this, what sort of attributes did you give to the robot? Like, what kind of words do you think it would come up with easily? 
or what do you think would be harder for it to access? Well, so this is what was tricky is at first I started assuming that like a person had programmed it to be trying to trick someone into thinking it was a person, you know? Uh Uh-huh. So if you assume that someone programmed it to do this, like they're going to put in a bunch of words like, let's say they're going to use the words like love or hate or whatever, like things Emotive that words. human emotions. But then you're like, well, that's yeah. really easy to trick. And that's easy for me. No programmer would do that because that's the first thing they'd think of. And then so they'd know that I thought of it, too. Mm-hmm. So I can easily beat that, you know. And then so then you kind of like have this game of leapfrog where you keep assuming what would beat my beating strategy, you know, and then you kind of get enough leapfrogs until you kind of hit the point where you're like, I can't out leapfrog anymore. You stay there. So I kind of got to the point where I was assuming like you have to strip away all the human aspects that went into building the robot and kind of assume that it's sentient itself, that it is like another person, not like a person that had programmed it, Mm -hmm. but that it's just another one of me that's trying to beat me. Yeah. You know, like you can't really even think of it as a robot anymore, which is blowing my mind. It's It's like such a human derived artificial intelligence that has like some like computationally, it's really smart and it can like look through all the dictionary and like, you know, you imagine you're like standing there in front of this judge and you're like shaking and this thing's like parsing through all of Wikipedia. Right. And that's the other thing is that if you're trying to think of a word that signifies like, oh, I get the I get what being a human is like then this AI is able to like read through tons of stuff. So like it's easy for it to read and know that like love is a very human emotion or that like it's read through every like classic novel of human emotion. and Right. It's really easy to just pretend to be a human in that very basic sense, you know. So Mm -hmm. I had to kind of come up with something. I came up with something extreme. Okay. Well, I'm excited. Let's we'll get to it. I'm sure you have a planned time for when you're going to ask me for my word. I will. Yeah. Okay. All these thoughts are really good and they come up in the paper. These thoughts of like recursion and how you think about what the other person's thinking. So the other speaker or the listener, the judge in this case. Yeah. And you can sort of assume different things. They get into some cool like Bayesian inferences. So like using probability theory to actually come up with what sort of a priori knowledge you can have in building more complex models. So like you could assume you're you have no shared information with you and the listener. And in that case, it's like it could be hard to come up with a word that relates to it. Right. But you can also imagine if you have a lot of shared culture with the listener, maybe it would be easier to come up with something. Maybe, but you'd have to be like, you'd have to have a really personal relationship with that person. Because even something that's like shared culturally, like if I were to say like, well, we live in Seattle, rainy or, you know, or something. Or like, let's say I said some, some sort of like jokey meme word from the Internet. Well, the AI has the ability to read about even that close of a culture, you know? Yeah, potentially. No, it's it's a good point. It's hard. You do, Like the AI, you sort of have to set a limit to how far you think the AI can go. Yeah. So with this situation of the minimal Turing test that they propose, uh, in this paper itself, they then broke it down into two different studies. So I'll talk about both. One is more related to production. So what words do people come up with? And the second is judgment. So they flip the situation and the participants in their study are now judging the words that people came up with. Oh, I see. To judge the relative strength of okay, it. Okay, so you get to be both the human contestant and the judge. Yeah, okay. yeah. So study one, production. The authors got about a thousand participants to answer this scenario and put themselves in the situation of the minimal Turing test. And at, they asked them, what word would you come up with? So from the thousand participants, it turns out there were 90 words that had multiple selections. 90 words, like multiple people put. 
the 10 most common words, or I guess I should say the four most common words that had like a ton of hits were love, compassion, human, and please. You can sort of imagine this like authoritarian please. scene where you're just like begging for your life. Please is actually a good one. Please. It's yeah. Love and compassion and human are like you're going to get executed every time. No offense to those people, but that's pretty basic. They're like emotive, but they're pretty cold. And also it's like, so here was my problem in thinking about this is like the the robot would be the one that would try to pick like, oh, let's say there's like sort of a normal distribution of of like kind of the human emotion things, right? Like like the robot's going to try to choose the one that's like the most universal. Yeah. Because if the, you know, the dumb robot would try to choose the most universal thing. Yes. So if you're choosing that most universal thing, then people are going to assume that you're just a simple robot. Yes. Well, I don't want to spoil it yet, but there were some interesting findings to you in study too. So we'll get into that. I'm really curious if people picked love for the humans or not. Well, I'll show you. Yeah. Those are all, those are all valid points that were brought up. So, okay. So we have love, compassion, human, please. The next uh, six top ones, they ended up doing this clustering because you imagine you have a thousand participants. They're getting a ton of words. It's just not feasible to test all of them. So their idea was to break it down into the 10 most. So they did some, there are these quantitative methods you can do to essentially separate words and find which ones are common, cluster them together. Okay. So you have the four most common words. Those were their own clusters because they were so common. And then the next six were affect. So things like emotional affect. Okay. Faith and forgiveness. So words related to like God or Jesus yeah. or Muhammad, et cetera. Food, like banana came okay. up. Uh, non-human agents, such as a dog. Okay. Life and death. And then, of course, because humans were involved, bodily functions and profanities. Okay. And that's, I'm assuming, where poop came in. That is where poop came in. Okay. And so, just I'm just bringing this up. This may be diving a little into the weeds. I thought it was interesting, though. When we talk about mind perception, so thinking about other people, the research often breaks it down into sort of two vectors, they call it. So two different directions that people can relate to, two different attributes. One is agency and the other is experience. Agency is more things like it's this dimension relating to, th- relating to thinking and doing or self-control, morality, memory, and planning. Experience relates more to feelings and experiences that you've had. Things such as like pain, hunger, joy, jealousy. And as you can imagine, most people generally think that robots excel in things like agency and do worse in experience. Yeah. And so what's interesting in all the words, they found that about 40% were judged to relate to experience, 10% related to agency, and the other 50% were hard to classify Hmm. as related to one or the other. Like if someone says dog, you're like, it's hard to tell what the person was thinking. Wait, so you said 50% related to experience? 40%. 40%. 40%. 40%. Wow. Yep. So people were playing on that. Yeah. Like you were talking about, like, what would the robot come up with? What separates me from the robot? Like, it's dude's experience. Yeah, but so here's what I'm saying is, like, that just means that it's, this is, this is disheartening because it means that it's going to be really easy for the robots to outsmart the humans. I know. I know. You're saying that 40% of people went with the, like, the really easy to fake answer. The robots could easily fake experience, you know? I know, when the robots invade, man, 40%, boom. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that we're in the other 60, you know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Just a, a little shout out to some of the weird words that people had. Um, there were some funny ones. These were the ones that were like hard to classify. Yeah. Sescapedalian uh, words, like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Uh, that was on there. They should have used sescapedalian as their word. That would have been great. It's a cool word. <laughs> yeah. 
Except I think the judge probably would have had a hard time pronouncing it. And have to get his own dictionary. Next time. Yeah, only a robot could pronounce it. <laughs> uh, slang words, lol and YOLO popped up. Yeah, I guess Yolo's, those are in the dictionary, right? That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're about to die for being judged as a robot. <laughs> uh, the robot would have you only live, I don't know. <laughs> forever. Forever. <laughs> I don't know. And then uh, humor. There were some funny ones. For some reason someone had filibuster. and then That's pretty good. Another one I liked was assistily. Was like a heart attack. Oh, <laughs> or like when your heart's failing. Interesting. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I think that that's a pretty good one too. Yeah. Okay. So that basically sums up like the different types of words. The authors did some classifying and came up with ten clusters. Next for study two, the judgment. They picked the ten most common words from those clusters, and then they recruited uh, almost twenty five hundred people, and they gave them a test. They came up with different pairings of words. So they'd flip order and stuff so that order wouldn't matter. And for all 10 of these words, they essentially did this round-robin test where they paired them all against each other to see how they'd perform. They then came up with what they called the relative strength of words as the proportion of judges who selected the first word rather than the second word. Okay, to clarify, so they're, they have not invented any words themselves. Yeah. As like robot selected words. Yeah. Every word that every word pair that comes up were both chosen by humans. They were both chosen by humans. And in this case, they're acting as the judge. And they don't know that a human or a robot came up with one word. Their task, I given see. two words, is to say which one came from the human. I see. Okay. I, I have a couple problems with this. Okay. Because it's a totally different scenario from what the thought experiment really is, you know? Because we had we had a whole discussion already that so much of this relies on the assumptions that you make about the other agent mm-hmm. or the other agents, the judge and the AI. But if you're actually presented these in the scenario where you're in this cognitive science study, you can already make a lot of assumptions off the bat. Like you already know that it wasn't created by a robot that's trying to kill you. Like you already know that it was came from another person either in this lab or something, you know. Well, so they used what I think it's called Amazon Turk. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or Mechanical Turk. Mechanical Turk, yeah. Yeah. So they weren't, there was a wide age variety of the participants and they did have some like, you know, language comprehension questions to make sure that they were valid, but they didn't know whether humans or robots had come up with it. So I don't know how much background they actually had. But everyone knows that they're not, that robots AI is nowhere near the level of human intelligence. True. But maybe they don't know how good it is at coming up with a single word. Yeah. I don't know. You get what I'm saying though. Like I do. Yeah. But, you know, this could just be like, if you look at the words, it could be somewhat random. Like it muddies the waters a little bit because if I was doing this, so in the thought experiment where my life is on the line, Mm -hmm. no way in hell am I going to say the word love because the odds that the robot is going to say love too are extremely high. Yeah. But when I'm playing for 10 cents on Mechanical Turk and I know the current state of AI technology and my goal and I'm going to get five cents more if I actually guess the correct one, like then I'm going to click love because I'm like, well, yeah, I know that a robot, a robot would just select a random word given technological maturity today. I definitely see where you're coming from. It's not the same scenario. And we can't like actually put a gun to someone's head and be like, what word would you pick? Yeah, there, you'd have to go through a lot of form signing to get that study done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe like 60 years ago. Okay. But um, anyways, that's what they came up with to evaluate it and to come up with the relative strength of the words. All right, so so what happened in the relative strength? Sorry that I totally derailed that, but I just no, have a lot of thoughts point. on this. This is, like the, this is a really cool thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they do, I should mention, throughout this paper, they are very clear about what they find to be the limitations of it. So they don't think okay. of this as like the end-all be-all for tests. It's just 
it offers some interesting insights. I see. And so what did they find from study two, the judgment? The strongest word, so the word that beat out the most other words consistently was poop. Wow. Okay. And they have this cool, it's called like a heat map. So Wait, can, did they use poop as a proxy for all the bodily functions words? Or did they use all the unique words they got for bodily functions? Uh, they only used poop. So poop was the most common among the bodily functions and profanities oh. cluster. And so they used that one. Okay. But so they could have picked a slightly different word and gotten the same result. Maybe. Okay. That's a limitation. You know, they had to discard a lot of okay. probably okay. funny words. So poop didn't also beat out shit and uh, butt. Yeah. Poop was a proxy for shit and butt. Yeah, so they added some weight to it because it had been chosen more times. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. What's interesting, well, so here, I'll give you the breakdown. Here is in descending order the words and how they performed. First up, best performing was poop, then love, please, mercy, compassion, empathy, banana, dark horse. Yeah. Alive and human. Human was last place. Second to last place. The only one it outperformed then was robot. So when human... Went up against robot, human would win. Dude, all of this just confirms to me, like, I kind of think that these people are idiots. Like, The people judging the, this? The, peop- the people see the word robot and they're like, huh, well, obviously the robot would come up with that one. Like, well, the robot is saying, oh, I'm a robot, you know? It's interesting, though. Like, imagine this scenario is like a coin toss and like in that improbable, well, coin toss isn't a good one. But, you know, there's so many different permutations of what could happen. So imagine that you're the judge and like, you're actually faced with someone saying, you got two words, human and robot. Like, who would you choose as the human? Like, oh, maybe I'll go with the human. I honestly, I would pick robot as the human. Then you just kill an innocent bystander. Well, I mean, in this case, all the words come from humans. So yeah. who knows? But what's interesting is someone actually selected this. And, you know, there's not much weight behind their decision. But maybe it offers something. Yeah. And that's like not the best matchup, human versus robot. But poop beat out everything. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Generally, with... About 70% strength. 70% of the time, poop would win. What's really interesting with the strength analysis from the study, though, is there's this transitive importance of the word ordering. So poop performed better than love. Love performed better than please. The transitive property would then say that poop performs better than please. Yeah. And that was true. Oh, really? Yeah. So that held. Wow. So these words almost had sort of like an absolute relation to the human condition. To a degree, yeah. There's like this hierarchy almost. Wow. Which gives some credence to the clustering that they did, saying that it's actually it actually reflects some sort of human decision making. That's actually really cool. I feel like that's probably one of those like hidden results of this that was not really talked about in the news that is actually like, I'm very surprised by that. Yeah, isn't you know? it? I thought that was pretty cool. So here was another interesting finding. The frequency of the words in the production task, so how often words were chosen for study one, actually had a low correlation with their average relative strength. So for example, we talked about human and how the word human did really poorly as a judgment word. Yeah, like second to last. Yeah. That was actually the third most common word that people came up with, though, when they had to come up with a word to distinguish themselves. And See, this is my point, dude, that 40% of people are going to go and die in this test against the robots because most people are going to come up with the bad answer human. And so... Your feeling on that is actually directly in line with one of the findings that the authors had, which is that the sort of recursive reasoning that we have, there's a discrepancy between whether you're a contestant and a judge. So we're not always doing a very good job of thinking, like, what is the judge going to value? The way that the question is framed is very different 
Oh. If you're the judge or if you're like actually participating. It's kind of like it's kind of like when you play like apples to apples or something. Yeah. You know, especially when you're I mean, it's a little different cuz like you'll play with your family or your close friends who you have a lot of shared understanding with, but you'll play totally differently based on whose turn it is to judge. Yes. Because I know what that person will find funny and I know that they'll connect with the card that I'm going to play. Whereas with someone else I would have played a different one, you know. Yeah, so you have a lot of, yeah, you have a lot of shared like a priori knowledge. Yeah. That's interesting. That, yeah, because I was thinking of like, oh, how do I beat the robot? But part of the prompt says you have to assume that the judge is like fair and rational or something. Fair and smart. Yeah. So I don't know if, I don't know, does that line kind of like have to take away some of that very subjective aspect? I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. So I won't go into too much detail for the rest of the analysis that they did in the paper. It was pretty interesting, though. Based on the results from study one and two, they came up with a probabilistic framework. So using like Bayesian inference, which is really popular in probability. Okay. It's a really effective tool for studying this stuff. So they use that and this thing called rational speech act theory, which is you can build hierarchies of complexity when you're thinking of these interactions, like how much a priori knowledge does the judge have? How much knowledge do I think that the robot has? And so they came up with some cool experiments, really analyzed the different relations and came up with a model that they think is effective. And most importantly, uh, the model that they came up with fits the trends that they saw in the data. And it allows them to use like other quantitative tools, such as na- like natural language processing. Oh, wow. To start opening up more studies in the future. So they actually like built a mathematical model of human behavior on this test. Yeah, yeah. As a way to start investigating it. That kind of scares me because now that's the little kernel that turns into the AI that wins this test. (laughs) I know, right? Like Amazon's probably just drooling over this for Alexa. Yeah. And the last thing that they included in the paper, which I thought was interesting, discussing future directions for the research, they talked about some different experiments. Like you could imagine you're investigating members who are in group and members who are out of group. And so you could have different members playing different roles. So like... What is what do you mean group? So imagine like you have Democrat, Republican. So the judge is a Democrat. You have a Republican and a Democrat who are behind the curtain and then have to come up with a word. Oh, I see. So just giving like the agents one piece of group information. Yes. And seeing how that changes the answer. Yep. So that's like, cool. Yeah. If you identified with the Green Party, what's the one word you could tell I see. another member for, so that they would know? Yeah. Or how well could you fake it? Yeah. For another group. Illuminati. <laughs> That's my word. <laughs> the conspiracy. If I wanted to fit in with like the tech crowd, I would just say IoT. Oh, that's a great one. Internet yeah. of Things. Yeah. Yeah. Synergy. <laughs> Synergy. So that is the paper. That's that is so fascinating. Like this has been incredibly thought provoking. Just, I mean, I didn't even realize that the whole paper was built on that little thought experiment that you sent me. And even just that one paragraph you sent me had me thinking for an entire like 24 hours about this. Yeah, it's one of those papers like and just one of those general thoughts since we're all humans and we all think and we have this mind perception every day. Or are we? Dun, dun, dun. Give me one word, James. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) We'll come up with the word reveal in a minute. Okay. But yeah, like it's something you can like always think about in the back of your mind. Just kind of like a fun thing. A great, great first date question. Oh, that, yeah, it is. Or icebreaker question. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Just don't put too much pressure on it. Like, so yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask you this question. If you answer it wrong, I kill you. Yeah. Bad first date question. <laughs> okay. So with that, Charlie, I need to know what word you came up with. You're on the, you're on the stand. Okay. 
So I will just say this was just an instinctual thing. After lots of thinking and and doing that game of leapfrogging and thinking, how would I sort of signify, you know, after all the thinking, then I came up with an instinctual thing that fit what I was going for. And so I, I'm just prefacing it because it's it's inappropriate. All right. Uh, if you have sensitive ears. It's not, a, right. it's not a bad word. It's a bad concept. Okay. It's a very disturbing concept. Okay. The word I came up with is necrophilia. Ooh. And the reason why is because I was thinking, like I was saying before about, you know, kind of that normal distribution of how you would characterize like a human experience, right? So this is, I'm thinking of this experientially, unfortunately. It's going to be really hard to describe why I picked this without sounding like a total weirdo. But that's kind of the point of why I picked it. Because if you think of like, you know, one of our favorite podcasts, Hardcore History. Of course. Dan Carlin is always saying he's interested in the extremes of human experience, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking of like a robot, if it were reading about necrophilia or something that's that abhorrent to a human being, you know, like a thing that gives you like an initial just absolute like repulsed reaction, like, oh my God, like that it's, a, it's like a sin against humanity itself, you know? Yeah. Think like a robot would, would understand that as being very non-human. And so they would never give that answer because they'd say like, well, that's, th- they would just think I picked a random word from the dictionary. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Or Whereas, I mean, if I say that, then the judge would say like, what, they'd be like, oh, whoa, I'm so abhorred by that. But then they'd say like a human would get that I would have that very human reaction to such a non-human concept. I wish I had a bell to ring right now because you're like spot on with one of the things that they found. Really? When they were talking about that discrepancy between the judges and the contestants. Okay. So this pulls so, up. I mean, I am the man. So. <laughs> And you're modest too. Yeah, I'm not surprised that I'm spot on. <laughs> but uh. <laughs> so um, there's a famous cognitive scientist, Steven Pinker at MIT. He's written like tons of books about this stuff. Yeah, really interesting stuff. If you're ever interested in it, they quote him in this. They bring up the fact that highly charged words like colorful profanities or like these human extremes might be judged as given by a human over other words because they evoke the emotions rather than simply referring to them. And that's like a very human concept. Yeah. Like, you can imagine the robot was never in second grade writing class where they're like, show your story, don't tell it. Yeah, well, and that's why I was saying that it's super basic to just say the emotion love or compassion yes. because it's it's way too easy to fake that, you know? You can't, like, I mean, that, that's super interesting that that's what they came up with, like, trying to evoke something rather than, but also try, like, it's also about you kind of have to pick a word that is going to evoke it without being an obvious way to evoke it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and and I think that's where the humor comes in. Like with the word poop, it's like humor is really hard. And actually just reading this paper and reading into it a little more, it's like it's one of the biggest challenges for AI is humor because there's so much like contextual and like human information that's involved. That's why they say like in foreign languages too, like humor is one of the hardest things because you lose out on like however many years of contextual experience. Yeah, I think I I wish that I had thought of poop because it kind of, yeah, it kind of gets at like that sort of like what you're just describing. Because it is like, that's like a, for all time, essentially a meme for all humans. Yes. Yeah. Like poop. Yeah. Potty humor, basically. You're faced with death and like, that's what you come up with. Yeah. Like it's, you know, just the word poop is, you know, as much as like, we're all mature people, like it is kind of funny, <laughs> yeah. you know? So. Absolutely. Um, it is, it's a great answer. Yeah. I, I think you have a solid choice. If I was a judge, I would pass you. Although, would you? Necrophilia versus... I mean, I have incentive because if I didn't, then we wouldn't have a podcast anymore. Or what if they put the two words next to each other and said, necrophilia, please? 
<laughs> they may just like axe both of them at that point. I think they should probably execute us both. Yes. <laughs> so that's that. Uh, wow, that's fascinating. So, all right, back to the news stories then. You said that they kind of got silly and like it seems like they really honed in on just this poop thing. I'm sure that's a big part of why this made headlines, but did they cover the rest of this thought experiment well? Did they cover the science well? So overall, no. Ooh. I mean, most of them sort of took their headline and just ran with it as like, this is the minimal Turing test and like, this is the stand-all be-all for how you identify yourself as not being a robot. So here's the problem, is that now that they've published this whole test and that he poop is the most human word, the robots have access to that. It's on the internet. I know. I don't think the authors actually understood the risk that they put us all at by publishing this article. So now when we're faced with this, the robot's just going to go through and like parse through this article and say poop. And now we're all screwed. Yeah, we're all going to die. Thanks a lot. Got to invoke Isaac Asimov's like robot rule here. So robots, if you're listening, don't copy that. Yeah, we shouldn't even publish this because then they're going to know about necrophilia. Uh oh. (laughs) (laughs) We got to delete the whole thing. Uh, Sorry, humanity. Uh, (laughs) We've doomed you. We'll ask for your forgiveness (laughs) in the next life. (laughs) So. The news articles were not very... Did you have a, a word that you came up with for this? I did, yeah. So, teaser, I had already read, like, the abstract and introduction, so I was thinking about it a little bit. Okay. But... So you cheated. I didn't cheat. <laughs> I didn't cheat. And I did not come up with the word poop, so I probably would have been axed anyways. Okay. But... Yeah. The word I decided to go with was, um. Ooh. That's um, a good one. That's a really good one. Actually, well, but here's what freaks me out. So, Google... They have this like Google Assistant AI thing, and they re- there was a bunch of headlines before we started this show, unfortunately, but maybe we'll do an episode about it later. Yeah, where they had their Google Assistant thing like call like a hair salon and make an appointment, or like call a Chinese restaurant and order a meal. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that they've programmed into this I... AI is that it says "um." Really, it sounds way more human. Yeah. Whoa, it's okay. crazy. Oh, I was thinking about that. I was listening to some like interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger on some other podcast. <laughs> nice. And I was thinking about it because, you know, like he's lived in the U.S. for a long time and he was talking about his accent and stuff. And you're just like, wow, you nail um. Yeah. What's interesting is that I, you know, in college, I had some friends who were from overseas and they had these very thick accents and they would say um, but like their language version of um. Like I, I had a friend from Sweden uh-huh. and he would always say M. Like M, like E-H-M. It throws everything off. It throws off like the natural cadence. Yeah, and there was a... For what you're using. I had like a German roommate who would always... She would also say that, like M, M. Really? Yeah, because I guess that's probably the more natural way to say it in their language. Yeah. But that is very... You're right. That's like that's a good one to use. Robots, if you're listening to this, forget this too. Yeah. (laughs) Rule five. (laughs) Giving away all of our tactics. (laughs) Well, yeah. So this was a really fun paper to read. I think I'm going to be thinking about it for a long time, just prepping myself for the eventual day when I have to <laughs> save myself against a robot in front of a fair but smart it's judge. totally realistic scenario. <laughs> yep. And uh, with that, I am now happy to introduce our grad student highlight for the week. Oh, nice. Megan Radin joining us today, and she'll give us a quick two-minute talk about her research in cognitive science. Megan, take it away. Hey everyone, my name is Megan Radin and I'm a PhD student studying cognitive science. 
So the cognitive science field is really diverse, but my research is more specifically looking at intelligence and problem solving. So we are trying to identify what cognitive mechanisms and processes contribute to and are necessary for successful problem solving. So we look at these high achievers and we try to figure out, okay, what are you doing that's enabling you to find these really difficult solutions? And then we look at those low achievers and we try to figure out, okay, what's preventing you from finding those solutions? So I think just studying problem solving in a general sense has a lot of applications to the real world. But we can also take a step back and look at the cognitive science field as a whole. And I think there's a lot of useful information there as well. More specifically, anybody that's trying to learn something or if you're an educator trying to teach something, it would greatly benefit you, in my opinion, to have a better understanding of how the mind works. And so I have tried to do this in my personal life of just people that I interact with and informing people about how cognition works. But I've also, much like many people, have taken to the internet and have tried to talk to people about this and inform people. So I'm on Instagram and on there, uh, my account is Psych Coding. I talk about two things. The first is how cool cognitive science is. So a lot of these technical things that we can do, like machine learning, and how that can inform our research concerning cognition. So it's mostly me nerding out. And then the second thing that I try to do on my account is inform people about basic cognitive processes or just basic cognitive research that's really informative. And Again, specifically, if you're trying to learn something or an educator, I think there's a lot of useful information in there. Um, but yeah, I hope everybody enjoys cognitive science as much as I do at some point. So thank you. Wow, that was that's super fascinating. It, it actually, you're right, it, it is pretty related to kind of this discussion we've been having. Kind of how do you identify the different cognition aspects of this? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Megan, for pitching that to us. Yeah, thank you, Megan. Oh, and uh, don't forget to check out her Instagram at psych and coding. Psych like psychology. Thank you all for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. It was really fun for us to make. Please subscribe to the show if you enjoyed our podcast. You can check out our weekly postings every Thursday on our website, paperboyspodcast.com. Also check out our Twitter and our Instagram at paperboyspod. James is a fiend on Instagram. I love it. I just can't put it down. I'm addicted. But seriously, if you do have comments, we love to hear your thoughts or just engage in any questions that you had about our episodes, especially if we said something wrong. Don't hesitate to correct us. Feel free to email us as well, paperboyspod at gmail.com. We also love any story requests that you have for us to cover. Yeah, actually, three weeks ago, we had an episode that came in on a request from a listener. So send us those requests. Thanks again, and join us next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening.